Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. So we're starting a new series today. Um, it's awesome, it's exciting, and uh, this is my favorite way of teaching. Um, but as a pastor, you don't always just teach what you want to teach. Obviously, you teach what you feel God leads you to teach. Um, but we're going to share on the allegory. So allegory really is a, is a noun. It's a word that we find in the King James Version of the Bible. We find it in Galatians. But allegory is a story, a poem, or a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning. Okay, so if you've been in Grace Life for any time, you know this is, this is our favorite part. But... Uh, I'm so excited to, to share this with you. We're going to share on the allegory, or a, a few allegories. We're going to look at the Old Testament. And I, don't, I, I told you last week I got the best Father's Day gift. I got a brand new King James Bible. Amen. Leather. You can smell it. You, can, you almost want to taste and see uh, that the Lord is good. And what I've realized is what I miss out on my uh, electronic Bibles is to really have an understanding of where I am in the narrative or the story or the timeline of the Bible. Now, I, I prepare with many different translations. I go into lexicons and concordances and everything, and online is the best for that. But sometimes you just want to know where you are. So we're going to be a lot in Genesis today, but we're also going to be a lot in Galatians. Now, just to, 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 to help us illustrate this, that's, that's the Holy Bible, they say. That's the Old Testament. So that's Genesis. You see, that's where we are. It's the beginning. And this is Corinthians. Now there's a song in my head. Some of you know the song. Genesis 6. Okay, so there's, there's Genesis and there's Galatians. Okay, so I want to show you today that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of Galatians is the God of Genesis. Why we miss it is because it's an allegory. Because what happens in the Old Testament is a story. Some of it is poetic. Psalms is, is very poetic. But it also it, it creates a picture, but that picture can be interpreted to reveal a hidden, or can we say the true meaning. And you know what? We don't have to come up with these ideas. Guys like Paul has, have come up with the ideas. They are sharing the revelation. So where, the, the way I treat the New Testament, I treat it, as a commentary or an explanation of the story, the poem, and the picture that I see in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, for one, is, is that, that, that's my textbook. But the New Testament is my study notes. Now some of you think, where is this guy going? That's how the Bible is put together. So you have Genesis, you have the first five books, the Torah, which is the foundation and then you have prophecies, which most of them, actually I think all of them, we just haven't found all the links yet, links to what is set in Genesis, what is foundational, and interprets in a way what is to come. Gunnar and I were having fun last night on WhatsApp and, and sharing some of these things that we pick up, and it's amazing. I mean, I shared with our leaders this week that, you know, God wanted a people group, a holy priesthood, or a royal priesthood. Who's ever heard that? 
Now we are that holy priesthood, okay? Who says that to us? Peter says that to us. Then John says that to us in Revelation. So I think it's Revelation 3, and then in, in the book of Peter. So where does that idea come from? Is that a new idea? Is that something that, that, that Jesus thought of while he was hanging on the cross? Is that something the Holy Spirit wanted to change? Let me find it. But in Exodus, Exodus 19. So where are we in the Bible? Second book of the Bible. Okay. Exodus 19 and verse 4 says, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and now I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Ever heard a prophecy about eagles' wings? Ever heard a psalm, a poem about under the shadow of, 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 of the Almighty, like an eagle? Okay, so where did they come up with the ideas? We read on, verse 5 says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant, interesting word, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. I don't know, but that blesses me. That blesses me. That gives me so much confidence in the Bible. It gives me so much trust in a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because we, we, we will believe that, but we don't know how to apply that. Yeah, God is the same. Obviously, He is. But the goal of the Old Testament, oh, I'm not so sure. So God wanted a holy people group. He wanted a kingdom of priests, didn't He? And guess what? The Israelites didn't want to be it. So they wanted what? They wanted priests. You read on. We're not going to do it today. You read on. They, they wanted priests. They wanted to, to mimic what they saw in Midian, in Egypt. They wanted to, to be like everyone. They wanted to conform to the pattern of this world. Then later on, they say, hey, we want a king. God says, I'm your king. It's like, No, we want a king like our neighbors. God says to them, are you sure you want a king? Why? Because God wanted them to be a kingdom of priests. He wanted them to be different, not conforming to the pattern of this world. But what does they want? They say, no, we want a king. And he gives them a king. He gives them Saul. And how does that work out? Okay, so whose fault is it? Is it God's fault? Whose idea was it? Not God's idea. Kingdom was, God's idea is kingdom of priests. But people wanted priests, and they wanted kings. And guess what? God gave it to them. So that must make a few new crinkles in your brain. So we need now to interpret the Bible with that. In, what is God's intent? Why did God start the earth? Why is creation... Why? Because God was bored. Because He had creative ideas. Why? Because the word says in Genesis 1, the Spirit of God was hovering. It was hovering what? Over the void, over the emptiness, looking for a place to stay. So what is the Spirit doing today? It's found some places to stay, but it's still hovering over other empty vessels. So God created the earth in five days. Okay? 
in day six, he created his house, which is us. But before that, he created our house, which is the earth. So the reason for creation was that God would have someone to live in. And it took him four days, five days, to create our house, which is what we see. And then on day six, he created his house, which is us. So God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what did God want to do? He wanted to live in us. And then it takes us all of, I think, about 4,000 years from Genesis 1 to Acts 2, Pentecost. All of this is God working out His plan because man got in the way. So whose fault is it? Is God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Of course He is. But He gave man what man wanted. Man wanted priests, and man wanted kings. And God had to work through that and then fulfill His vision, which is Him living in us. The more I study the Word, the more I realize that it's actually very simple. There's a spiritual man, and there's a natural man. There's the first Adam, there's the second Adam. There's the covenant of law and grace, the covenant of law which leads to death, that's carnal. And then there is the covenant of the law of, of life in the spirit, according to Romans 8 and verse 2, which is what? Spiritual. Adam's word now was exactly that. The new man is spiritual, it's heavenly. Now we read, and what is sin? Sin is then, do I have the new man? Am I the new man? Or am I not? What is ungodliness? Oh, we live in an ungodly world. Amen, brother. Yes, we do, because people are without God. Ungodly. They are without who God is. They're without the Spirit. And then they act accordingly, because now they operate according to their operating model, or their operating system, and now they, they just do carnal things. Because it's contrary. The Word says that the Spirit... And the flesh are contrary. The one lusts after the other. So your spirit man wants to, to be big because God is big. But your flesh doesn't want the spirit to be big because the flesh wants to be big. It's really simple. There was two trees in the, in, in the garden, wasn't there? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Carnal, you can understand it. What is, not, what is, what is right, what is wrong? The tree of what? Knowledge. All that thought. There's another tree. It's not the tree of knowledge. Because there's a piece that supersedes knowledge according to the New Testament, isn't there? Where does that idea come from? It comes from Genesis. There's knowledge which will never lead to peace, which will lead to what's right and what's wrong. Which is carnal. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? We go to court and we have witnesses. What do witnesses do? They tell us what they so, and then the judge makes a decision or a judgment based on what happened. Where did it happen? Carnally, physically. So now the body that that person now goes with his body into prison. But there's another side to this, because there is a spirit man. There's another tree. It's the tree of life. And now we read Romans 6, Romans 7, we get confused. Romans 8, we get back into the spirit. And that's exactly what Paul says. There's a spirit man, and there's a carnal man. There's a flesh, and there's a spirit. And in Romans 7, he's got this exact thing. He says, like, I'm between the two. I really want to serve God. That's my spirit. Even Jesus said, what? 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. What happened in Genesis? The flesh was weak. Jesus didn't come up with something new. It's, not, it's profound, but it's foundational. It's from the beginning. So then when we go into the Old Testament, there's a very interesting verse that I don't want to get to today. But it says, when Moses is read, the veil remains on people's eyes. Has ever heard that? It's in Corinthians. I think it's 1 Corinthians 3 at the end there. It says, but when you turn to whom? The Lord. What happens? The veil is taken away. Okay, so that is the allegory. When you haven't turned to Christ, you see the Old Testament, you see Noah, you see the flood, you see Jonah, you see the fish. You see Hagar, and you see Sarah, and you see Ishmael, and you see Isaac. That's what you see. So it doesn't mean reading the Old Testament. I used to interpret it, reading the Old Testament, reading the law, the veil remains. But then then we have a problem, because now we're only studying the New Testament. So we only have the PowerPoint slides, but we're not touching the handbook. Some of us got through varsity like that. Okay. You'll get into heaven like that. Some of you made nice notes and sold it and made some good money. Well done, you entrepreneurial one. But it's really you missing out on the good stuff. Because for me, one of the best examples of ministry is Jesus after the, the resurrection. Because there's a short window, 40 days, where we see what we're supposed to do. And what does Jesus do? He explains, he shows, he unveils himself on the road to Emmaus. Where? Not in Galatians, because it's not written. Not in Ephesians, because the Ephesian church hasn't been planted in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures. And what do they say? They say, didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't we get born again? Didn't we fulfill Ezekiel 36? Didn't we get a heart of flesh? And the heart of stone was removed. Why? When? When we saw Christ in the Scriptures. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture of what we can do? And then we see God's been the same all, all along. God's had one plan. But He uses stories. He uses poems. He uses narrative. Why? Because we like it. Don't put up your hand, but some of us have Netflix Subscriptions. Some of us have Disney Plus subscriptions now. Some of us have DSTV. Some of us have Showmax. Why? Because we are consumers of stories. What a profound idea. Guess who came up with it? God did. It's woven into us. So, one of the allegories, I just felt this is, for someone, this is a word, is someone who's really tired and weary. Someone in the inner service. I don't know who it is, but I just felt so strongly. Someone who's tired and you're weary. And, and, and we talked on it a while back, but I want you to, to see the picture of Moses on the hilltop. And while his hands are up, they're winning. But his hands are tired and grow tired. And then, he's, then they, they, Joshua and the, and the, and the boys are, are not winning. It means they're dying, actually. <laughs> That's what, what, is, what happens in a sword fight. And maybe you feel like you need, to, you need to be strong for other people. But really, that's just the picture of Jesus on the cross. Moses sat on a rock, on a hilltop, arms extended. 
And I really want you to see that picture, not for Moses, because there's lots of words being given about that, and you'll have two people next to you, and people help you, and all of that's true. But see the cross. Paul said, I preach Christ, and I preach Him crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and the Greeks want knowledge. Jews want signs. Greeks want knowledge. But I give you the word, the full counsel of the word. Colossians 1 verse 6 says, This is the wonderful message that is being spread everywhere, powerfully changing hearts throughout the earth, just like it has changed you. Every believer of this good news bears the fruit of eternal life as they what? Experience the reality of God's grace. So God's grace is not new, but it was shadowed. It was in picture form. It was in an allegory. But there's a deeper meaning, and now the veil is removed, and now see what's really, we see what's really going on behind, behind the picture. Verse 25 there, Colossians 1 says, This is the very reason I've been made a minister by the authority of God and a servant to His body, so that in His detailed plan I would fully equip you with the Word of God. We don't need anything but the Word. We can be fully equipped with the Word. We can be fully counseled with the Word. We can deal with all our problems through the Word. The carnal man doesn't like that. They want pills, they want shoulders to cry on, they want couches to lie in, all those things. But the Word is either true or it's not. It says that we are fully equipped by the Word. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2 in the Amplified says, For I made the decision to know nothing, that is, to forego philosophical or theological discussions regarding inconsequential things and opinions while among you. I mean, Paul knew some theology. He is a master in theology. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the Old Testament back to front. He could recite it, in fact. And when he, when he saw what this is all about, I mean, the domino is just... All the way back to Genesis, in his mind. But he says it's not about that. It's about Christ and Him crucified. One message. Why? Because that is the power of God. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I cherish the gospel. I treasure the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. Yeah, but we want to win arguments and we want to go in the political arena. And we... The only reason for a Christian to go into the political arena is to share the gospel. Nothing else. Nothing else. Because without that, you're not operating in the power of God. Follow the logic. Yes, we have to go into all the world. Yes, we have to go into dark places and difficult places. Yes, but take the gospel. Don't take your worldview. Take the gospel. And your worldview will change. And that of those around you will change. But don't change their worldview. Share the gospel. Operate in the power of God. He says, I explain to them the meaning of His, of his redemption, the redemptive substitutionary death and His resurrection. We don't just preach the cross and we stop at the foot of the cross and we see Jesus on the cross. No, there's a, there's a, the, the cross is the gospel. It is the death, it's the burial, it's the resurrection, it's the ascension, and it's the outpouring. That is the message. And you can teach the whole Bible and teach that message, and I'm trying to do it every week, if, you, if you've realized. So, that was my very elaborate introduction. Galatians 4, 
Galatians 4, remember where we are. So I'm going to put this here just for you to, to see. This is where we are, Galatians 4. Verse 22 says, For it is written. Okay, where is it written? It's written in Genesis. <laughs> it's written. Where, where is he referring to? So he's making notes on, on that part. Scripture, it's written. It's written. See, so Paul, there's, there's people who have a very big issue with Paul, the Muslims as well. Because they say he came up with his own ideas. And now we've elevated Paul's ideas above Jesus' ideas. Everyone ever heard that argument? Well, you don't need to fight the argument, just share the gospel, because the gospel will change it. But the argument is, is, is unfounded because Paul is, everything he says, he's taking from the old. So it's nothing new. The word says there's nothing new way under the sun. Okay, so since the sun was created, there's nothing new. So the New Testament's not new. It's newly revealed, newly unveiled, but it's not new. I drove past the Toyota garage the other day, and there's a, a big black cloth with a big red ribbon. So you don't know what's under the car. It's veiled. But is the car there? Has someone signed for it? Has West Bank paid for it? Not that person, but the bank. <laughs> That's the gospel. It's there. It's just veiled. It's paid for. It's ready. It's available. Now we turn to Christ, and we unveil what's always been there. I drove by. I saw this big red ribbon. I was excited. But I wasn't sure what car it was. I'd be more excited when I see what car it is. And you start it and you hear the engine and you, you, you smell that leather. and you, you So a lot of people are looking at the gospel like that. Yeah, Jesus is awesome. Thank you. Sunday. Forgive my son. I'm off on the last belief. Get out of your comfort zone and get into the gospel. Come join the adventure. Come start the engine. Get the Holy Spirit. Live a life of adventure. Why not? Why play safe? Why play church? Why be a Sunday Christian if you can live the adventure that has been planted, planned, and designed for you to live in since when? The foundation of the earth. It's not new. It's newly unveiled. And even that's 2,000 years ago. You see, the grace revolution is amazing, but it's not new. It is, it is so sad, actually, because for 2,000 years we've been missing out. That's what it is. It's been available. For it is written that Abraham had, what, two sons, one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman, one by a slave, one by his wife. But he who was of the bondwoman was born, what, after the flesh or according to the flesh. And he of the free woman was by promise. What's the message of the Bible? There's a fleshly carnal life that is slavery. There's a promised life that is life that is Holy Spirit. You'll see this everywhere. So we read a story about an ancient man in Arabia walking in the deserts and he's got a wife who can't have children. And then the wife says, take my slave. And he says, yes, ma'am, thank you. And according to the flesh, they want to what? Fulfill God's promise. 
And what do they do? They make a groot gemors. Does God remove the promise? So you unsinning, you, you sinning, you, you think you can get rid of God's promise. Abram sold his wife twice. He made a franchise business out of his wedding, out of his marriage. I'm yet to find a man that's as entrepreneurial. <laughs> Did God remove the promise? We must think. That's why we give you coffee now before the service, so you can, you can think. Which things are an allegory, verse 24. New King James says, symbolic. Cinebilt is one of the Afrikaans' words. So he says, you read Genesis, you read about Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, Ishmael. It's just an allegory. There's, what, what, what does he say? There's more. There's a deeper meaning. He's inviting us to take off the veil and see what was really going on. Where was it going on? In Genesis. I know I'm facetious of that, but you really need to get this. It is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave and the other by the free woman. The child of the slave was born in the ordinary course of nature, but the child of the free woman was born in accordance with God's promise. This can be regarded as an allegory. So, Exodus 2, 24. And God heard their groaning, the Israelites, and God remembered His covenant. What did God remember? His covenant, His promise. The covenant with whom? Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. If you read Exodus and you're not careful, you read it according to the first Adam, you think he's speaking about getting out of Egypt. But if you realize now by your study notes and you read John and you read Romans, which we're going to do in a moment, John 8, then you see that the covenant has nothing to do with Egypt. It was heaven. It's the promised land. Who led the Israelites into the promised land? Joshua. How would you say that in Hebrew? Yeshua. Oh, it's not that difficult. Who led us into heaven? Yeshua. You see, you really need someone to help you miss it. The Jews are missing it still. Oh, Jock, it's funny. <laughs> it's also sad. It's very sad. Why? Because they are unwilling to submit to the Messiah who's going to remove the veil. So they cannot see it. That's the thing. You reading the Bible after getting saved should be a totally different experience than you reading the Bible before you got saved. Especially the Old Testament. So he had a covenant. He had a promise. He had a plan. And that promise was what? It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we've said it every week, so make a note. Galatians 3 and verse 14 is your answer. Where's Galatians? There. Where was the promise made? Genesis. Abraham is in Genesis, by the way. Okay? So there's a promise made there. And now Galatians 3, 14 explains to us what the promise was. You need to study the Word. You need to rightly divide the Word of truth. Otherwise, what I'm saying is going to go, go missing. What I want to do is over the next few weeks is to look at the allegory of Abraham 
the allegory in Isaac and the allegory, the promises of the Holy Spirit's outpouring in the life of Jacob. So we, we're just touching the surface this morning. Genesis 18. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Wow, this, this got me. What is God doing? This is before Egypt, by the way. This is before Isaac, before Jacob. What is God doing? It is the eternal plan of redemption that God has put in place since the creation of man. Genesis 3 and verse 15, he says, And her seed, which is a prophecy about a virgin birth. Genesis 3 is before Genesis 18. So what God is doing is He set this plan in motion since the foundation of the earth. And now He explains it. He shares it. He is excited about it. With whom? His friend. His friend, Abraham. And in that, He makes a promise to Abraham. And He says, guess what? I'm going to do it through your lineage. God, that's impossible. I don't have a son. With God... All things are possible. How can you be so sure, Peter? I think you, I think you're stretching it now. I think you. Thank you for uh, your concern. Let's go to John eight fifty six. John eight and verse fifty six. Who's speaking? First question. I think if your Bible has red letters, it would be in red, which indicates to us that it's Jesus speaking. So if we read, Jesus is speaking, he says, For your father, Abraham, speaking to the Jews, rejoiced to see my day, so he knew what the plan was, he was excited to see it, and he saw it, and he was glad. What does it mean? Jesus is telling them, that Abraham heard the gospel in promise form. He got the revelation and he was happy to see it. What Jesus is telling them is that your father Abraham knew all along that the promise was about more than an ancestor group called Israel. Or a people group speaking Hebrew. Because he saw the day of Jesus our Lord. Where did he see it? I believe he saw it on the hilltop when the ram was caught in the thickets and there was a substitution of a sacrifice and there was a payment that was delivered which is 100% a picture of Christ. And didn't Abraham come down full of joy? What did he see? He saw the gospel. You see, the new is not so new. It's newly unveiled. New Living Translation. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and he was glad. So back to Genesis. Genesis 18, 18. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. There's the gospel. The Jew says we are not under anyone. We are the sons, the daughters, the family of Abraham. 
But what about all the nations? You selfish Jews, you. Huh? You want to keep the blessing for yourself? We are the nation. No, but the promise was for all the nations. The promise is Christ. Abraham, yes, you're going to be a massive people group. We're going to call it Israel. It's going to be Jacob's children. And in that lineage, there's going to be a son born from a woman, made under the law, made of a woman. And he is going to be the Savior. That is a mighty nation. But because of that mighty nation, the true seed of Abraham will be born, which is Christ, and in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. See a few more nods in the room. Where are we? In which book? We're in Genesis, by the way. I used to think that you're very successful if this part of your Bible is worn out. The small part here. I don't believe that anymore. It will probably be more worn out because it's a condensed version of what was the story of the old. So that's, there's, there's meat there, and, but it comes from somewhere. It doesn't, it doesn't just appear. Even Jesus didn't just appear. Jesus was prophesied in Genesis 3 and verse 15. Twofold promise, referring to Israel, referring to Christ, and now we in, in, we in Him. Genesis 22, God reiterates this blessing. He says that in blessing, I will bless thee, and in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as of the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. Wow, I, I read that yesterday and I was like, I've heard this before. I've heard something similar before. What did we hear? What did we hear? We heard Mark 16, 18 that says, And I say unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Where does Jesus come up with his ideas? He tells us. What did he say? He says, I only say what I hear the Father say. And I only do what I've seen the Father do. It's in Genesis, but it's fulfilled in Jesus. The gates of your enemies. And still, we have a picture that we must just hold out hell. Because the devil and all these demons are like, are here. God's intent from Genesis 22 was that we will be on the offense. That we will be going, that we will step out, that we will take people, that we will plunder hell and populate heaven. Because the gates are down. But we have a picture of Peter at the pearly gates. Oh, we just need to keep all the evil out. How selfish can we be? Jesus said, go. Jesus said, go. Sumi, I had a word for you. Saw you with a guitar. And I'm not prophesying that you're going to do worship. <laughs> I just felt like God say, you've got, you're holding the right instrument, but he's teaching you to tune it and play it. So don't be disappointed if things are not working out as quickly as you thought they would, because it's just him teaching you. I hope that blesses you. Genesis 22 and verse 18. And in your seed, 
shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. So carnal man thinks obedience, sacrifice, yes Lord. Spiritual man thinks voice, maybe promise, maybe word. Let's go deeper, let's go look. So I went and I looked deeper and it means you have obeyed my proclamation or song of peace. You believe the gospel. You believe the promise. We asked the question last year a few times, why did Abraham, why was he, called, why was he righteous? And we say because of faith, but we think obedience. Because he left. Well, he didn't leave like God said, because he took Lot with him. First he took his family with him, and then his dad passed on the way, and then Lot remained, and then there was a whole detour. So he wasn't that good. I remember he sold his wife twice, and he, he did a few things, interesting things. But you obeyed my promise, my proclamation and song of peace. Again, I want to reiterate, where are we in the Bible? We're in Genesis 22. Now jump to Galatians 3. And verse 16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So we've just read all about the promises. We've read the promises. We've seen the promises. God making promises. Genesis 18, Genesis 22. Now Paul is writing his study notes to us, interpreting what happened in Genesis. And he says there were promises made. I want to study that word out, but I believe that promises might be singular. Because there's a promise made to a seed, which is the seed of Abraham, which we're going to get to now in verse 16, because it says there were promises made. He does not say to seeds, as of many, referring to Israel, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Hopefully by now you've made some notes. Genesis 18, Genesis 22, Galatians 3. That will keep you busy for the week, I promise. There's a promise made where? In Genesis. But guess what? That promise was not for Israel. It was through Israel. That promise was not Isaac. It came through Isaac. Because otherwise it would not be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's, there's generational impact there. Verse 18, for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise, or can we say obeying God's voice, or hearing His song and proclamation of peace, the gospel. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. But the scripture hath concluded that all are under sin, that the promise by faith, if you have a good translation, it will be of the faith of Christ, not in Christ, might be given unto them that believe. <clears throat> and if you be Christ, oh, verse 29, take a deep breath. I'm about to bless you, okay? And if you are Christ, who here are Christ? If you're not Christ, you're missing out. Come speak to me afterwards. If you are Christ, then you are what? You are Abraham's seed. 
I don't see any wikis. I don't see a seven candle candelabra. Who's Abraham's true seed? Christ's. And what, it, what was promised to whom? Abraham was some pretty cool things. In blessing, I will bless you, multiply, I will multiply you. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Didn't Jesus say, go now into all the world? So that all the nations of the earth could be blessed through you. Who are you? You are Abraham's seed. If you are in Christ. And is. Oh, we miss that. We, 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 miss, we miss the we miss. If you study the word, you need to study every word. Heirs. According to how holy you live. According to the promise. What promise? The promise to Abraham. The promise, the proclamation, the song of peace. Now you're an heir. What does that mean? It means you're a sharer or possessor. So what do you possess? That's a good question. What do you possess? Oh no, we are blessed with Abraham when I'm above only and not below and I'm blessed to be a blessing. What do you possess? Remember, Abraham was rich before God promised. Because he sold his wife twice. We've made that point now a few times. Still can't get over it. You are a possessor, listen to this, of the right to sonship. More on that last week. You can get the, the teaching. You are a joint heir with Christ. Now we are a joint heir with Christ because He is the Abraham, Abrahamic seed, singular. So whatever is His is what? Sonship. Is now ours. Some people want to make it about money and, and nations and hills and cattle. and I mean, I'm not saying it's not that, but I'm just saying, why limit that? Because that's on the carnal side. That's, that's for now. But I have a better promise based on better principles because it's a better covenant, which is a spiritual covenant. So you have the right to sonship. How? Thank you for asking. Through the Holy Spirit that cries what's in your heart. You can call him daddy. Abba, Papa, Dada, Appa. Whatever nation in the world you go, there is a version of that. And that is the first words that you should hear from God as you grow to understand the voice of the Father. Because the moment you say Dada, you position yourself as a son. I started off with a saying and I said, God is not an egocentric maniac that's looking to be worshipped. He doesn't mind or matter to him if he hears the words Father. He's, he's full, he's complete, he doesn't need anything. But why it matters is the moment you say Abba, he knows that you know that you're a son. And then he celebrates. The prodigal son, Luke 15. When was he not a son? When did the father celebrate? When he came back to his father. When he recognized and accepted his place as son. 
He didn't celebrate at first, I'm sure. He was very awkward, I think. But the father celebrated. Why? Because the son of mine was lost. Not because, oh, there's another one who's going to call me father. Or another one who can mow, mow the lawn. Or, yeah, now I've got him in a corner. I mean, now he owes me. Now we're going we're to get some value. No, because he's a son. He understood that. He realized. What does the word say? He came to himself. He didn't become someone new. He realized he's got a home. He was still a bit awkward and he wanted to go serve his father. Why? Because it was performance. It was carnality. The father said, no, no, no. It's identity. It's because you're a seed. It's not because what you can do. Because otherwise what he promised to Abraham was also not. Because Abraham did many wrong things, we said. But it's not according to works. It's according to promise. The promised Holy Spirit. Galatians 3 and verse 14. Galatians 4 and verse 7. Wherefore you are no more a servant, but a son. And then if a son, a joint heir of God through Christ. So just if you missed what he said in Galatians 3.29, he's going to make double sure that you get it in Galatians 4 and verse 7. I'm going somewhere. We are actually busy with the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. So we're going to land there now. Okay, We're going to bring this together. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. You're no longer Ishmael, which is a work of the flesh. You are now a true son, according to the seed of promise. So we think fruit of the Spirit, and we jump into Galatians 5. But there's a whole build-up. All the way from Galatians 1, Galatians 2, Galatians 3, Galatians 4. And there's a lot about Abraham in there. Now what I want to share with you is, Isaac and Ishmael is an allegory. You've got that by now. Which is going to be explained to us in more detail than he's already done in Galatians 4 and 3 in 5. And the end of 5, and I'm going to have to jump there for time's sake, says, no, we can't jump all the way there, sorry. Let's go to verse 22. Galatians 4, 22. We're going to go right over into 5 now. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he was of the bondwoman, was born after or according to the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. That by there... If you study it out, it means the channel of delivery. Pretty cool. Was promise. Okay, I want to go into biology there, but you get it. It was through or because of God's covenant. The New Living Translation says, The son of the slave wife, I don't like wife there because they weren't in covenant, was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. Religion. Religion. Is anyone with me there? God has promised. We believe the promise, but we're going to help Him. We're going to fast. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to not do this. We're going to do not do that. We're going to help God. Because just maybe God can't do it. 
or not in the time that we wanted. That's often was Abraham's problem. Faith is patient. Okay? But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. I really like that. Verse 24 says, These two women serve as an illustration or allegory of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now, Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia. So you see there's multiple allegories here. It's multi-layered. Because she and her children live in slavery to the law. Unfortunately, this is 2,000 years ago, but it's still true. But the other woman, Sarah, represents a heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. The Jerusalem where? Above. The heavenly Jerusalem, the spiritual realm. And she is the mother of us all. So you're not born into slavery to the carnality of your flesh. No, now you are reborn, born again, born from above, John 3. Now you have a new mother. And that mother is not Sarah. Sarah was a picture of a child that was born according to promise. That's what he's explaining. Verse 28. Now we, say we, say me, me. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. The allegory is, Abraham had two sons, the one of the slave woman, the one of the free woman, the one after the flesh, the one of the promise. That is a deeper meaning, and now you are Isaac. We're not going to all change our IDs now. Isaac, Isaac, Isaac. That will be cultish, don't you think? <laughs> hi, Isaac. Hi, Isaac. Hi, Isaac. We'll make it much easier for our greeters, won't it? No, we are now promise. Sons of covenant. The Amplified Classic says, But we, brethren, are children, not by physical descent, as was Ishmael, but like Isaac, born in virtue of promise. Verse 28. But as then, as when? As in Genesis. He that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. So is it now. Nothing new under the sun. We'll look at Jacob and, uh, and Esau. Similar story. The one is carnal picture. The one is spiritual. The one wants to eat and he wants to eat now. Carnal. The other one sees promise, covenant, generational blessing. And doesn't the prophecy say that the older will serve the younger? So we think, okay, Jacob came out after Esau. But your, your flesh, carnal man, was born first. So it's the older child of you. But your flesh should now serve your spirit. And that is renewing the mind. Born again, so your spiritual man is younger, hopefully, should be. Because you were first carnal, and then you turn to the Lord and you receive the promise, and now you're born according to the promise, and now you have a new birthday. We should actually celebrate our new birthdays much more, because that's the one you can celebrate into eternity. 
We're landing the plane now. We're in Galatians 5. So Isaac was a fruit of the promise. We know the promise is the Spirit, so Isaac was a fruit of the Spirit. Are you getting there? Galatians 3.14 says the promise is the Spirit. We've now seen that Isaac was according to the promise, so he's a fruit, a harvest of a promise, and the promise is the Spirit. So the allegory is Isaac is the fruit of the Spirit. Now it gets interesting. Who did Abraham love? Sarah or Hagar? Sarah. Who did he have covenant with? Sarah. So the fruit of the Spirit then, we can find something in Isaac and Sarah. But if we look at the works of the flesh, according to Galatians 5 as well, we just came from Hagar and Ishmael. And you know the word says that the works of the Spirit are manifest. Galatians 5.16 says, And I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall, shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things you would. The contrary is Hagar, Sarah, law and grace, slave and free, flesh and spirit. And then verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. I didn't even include verse 20. That's what did Abraham, what sin did he commit with Hagar? Adultery. The work of the flesh is adultery. Let me not say that part. Let's land the plane. But, thank God for the buts in the Bible, amen? But, the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit, I'm reading the Passion Translation here, within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. So the Passion Translation says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then love is manifested in patience, in kindness, in peace, in joy, in, in a life full of virtue, in faith that prevails, in gentleness of heart, in strength of spirit. And, and, and if you follow my train, then I can agree with that. Because what is God? God is a Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? One of you, I said to you the other day, God's going to be a spirit forever. You can't change that. Okay, get used to it. God is a spirit. And if you are now born of God, you are born of spirit. So you are a harvest of the spirit. God is also known as love. So the fruit of who God is, is the fruit of love, which is the harvest of the spirit, which is Love. And now we live out agape. We lay down our lives. We have long suffering. We are patient. We are kind. We are not easily irritated. We stand in faith. We can suffer with Jesus. Why? Because we are like Isaac was. Sons of the promise. Spiritual beings. Does that help anyone? 
Anyone excited to go read Genesis? I'm super excited to go into Genesis. I'm trying to f- finish Exodus, but I want to go back into Genesis now. John 8:56. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and he was glad. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Old Testament is a mining ground of treasure if we first have the veil removed, if we turn to the Lord and we turn to Christ and we see that He was and will forever be God's plan. But guess what? We are now in Him and as He was according to the promise, the Holy Spirit, so are you now joint heirs, possessors of the privilege of sonship. And not just any son, son of God. You have a home. And your home is heaven. But now we are invited into all nations of the earth. We are now blessed. Okay, If you have the Holy Spirit, you're blessed. Don't believe it yet. You'll get there. But in you, God wants to multiply. In you, God wants to satisfy. Through you, God wants to bless all nations. It's not a new plan. It was promised in Genesis. Think about the purpose, the identity that it gives us. That we are walking out the plan that God had from the beginning. I don't know about you, but it it totally overwhelms me, the thought. I just feel there's someone here you, you, you saying, but you, you, you're wanting to go on about end times. And I want to just share with you that I agree with you, it's the end time for the nation and the generation that we're currently in. So it's a moot point whether it's the end time now, because the people that are living now, for them, it's the last days. So we should live every day as if it is the end times. So on urgency, I'm 100% with you. But on what we do about it, it's the gospel. That's what we share. We should not get distracted. Would you stand with me as we pray? We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.